Welcome to a special episode of the 42 to Doomsday podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Richard. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the fallout after the Phantom event on May 27, where Phil Morris was supposed to turn up, but unfortunately wasn't able to turn up. Uh, Richard and I will just be talking about uh, people's experience of the uh, the whole enterprise. And we may just touch on the Omni rumor itself. Uh, we haven't done that for a while on the podcast. And uh, let's face facts, it generates downloads. <laughs> Richard, uh, welcome again to another episode of the 42 to Doomsday podcast. Thank you for having me back. Yes, thank you. Um, I, me and you have uh, long been interested in Doctor Who missing episodes, I'd say. <laughs> yes, I think so. We're probably one of a dwindling number, but yes, I think so. <laughs> Time catches up with everyone. So, um, as I said at the start, this is a little bit of a sort of a, a sideways venture. Granted, we neither of us actually attended it, considering it's on a different continent. There's no surprise about that. Uh, and yes, I will be using, we will be using excerpts from people's posts about their experiences at the event. So these are all available on a public forum, uh, Planet Mondas forum, and also Gallifrey Base. Granted, you do have to be a member, but it's very easy to be a member and you can find all these. Uh, so we'll just, uh, we'll just dip into it. Um, the, as I said at the start, the Omni Rumor is always interesting to talk about. And this event, uh, with Phil Morris's much anticipated uh, appearance for a number of months, was generating a lot of well, as it turns out, wishful thinking and hoping. But we'll see how we go. Now, I want to start it off, uh, Richard, uh, with an excerpt from an interview that Phil gave to Doctor Who Online in October 2016. Uh, the question to him was, have you read all the theories on the now-famous Omni-Rumor and what are your thoughts on it all? Uh, now, Phil says, the famous Omni-Rumor. I have seen some of the strange theories, but it's nothing new. Rumors always surround Doctor Who. It's always, my mate who has an uncle, that sort of thing. Never any solid facts to back it up. So I haven't read all the theories, really. I stick with the hard facts. However, I will say the truth is stranger than fiction, and my best advice, dot, 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 believe it when you see it. Now, like all hardened um, uh, convention attendees, Phil has now developed his own patter. Nicholas Courtney used to trot out the Inferno. Um, the eye patch story. Exactly, yes. and Phil trots out a number of uh, trademark uh, phrases, which, which frankly get up my nose. But anyway, that's, that's the way it is. Uh, Richard, just before we move on to the second thing I wanted to read out, what did you make of Phil dissing in effect the omni rumor i I suppose i think we've discussed this before if if you believe he's found more material and he is negotiating for its return or he's dealing with the bbc or whatever you would think that he would not be in a position really to spill the beans because it would be because the negotiations are still ongoing or simply because he signed a a non-disclosure agreement so I, i i don't think and I think in general with this this event and him in general, I, I think badgering him and badgering him and badgering it really serves little purpose because he's not going to say anything, either because he has nothing to say, and I guess if you believe that there is nothing to this, he probably doesn't really have a lot to add. He's still looking, clearly, if you take the view that he's obviously out of the country doing tea work, or if he has found something, and it may not necessarily be Doctor Who. I mean, we could be talking... I don't know. I mean, I'd really like to see him find some Callan episodes personally, mm. but you you probably think he's not really going to say too much. Uh, of course, he's aware of the Omni rumor. Mm. I mean, look, he's had people camped out the front of his lockup taking photos and stuff. Of course, he knows that all this stuff is going on. I, I would actually be inclined to agree with him. I think the truth quite often is stranger than any crap you can make up yourself. Yes. Um, well, I, the, I idea, think so. the, the idea that Webb and Enemy were sitting on a shelf in Nigeria. 
mm. uh, until you probably did the research made no sense whatsoever. No, that's right. You know, I, I would be quite prepared to believe that. And, and the point he makes about it, it is always, I know someone who knows someone who definitely saw Power of the Daleks 2. Mm. Um, it's never, I saw Power of the Daleks 2 yesterday. It's yeah. always somebody told me that they knew someone who'd seen it. Yes. Or I've heard a rumour that it was in this part of the world and screened here in, in whatever. So, yeah, I, I, I think, um, look, he knows damn well what's going on with a lot of these rumours. Yes. Yeah, I mean, and, and you, I don't think you're really going to get a straight answer out of him until he is able, either prepared or able to tell the whole story. So after 10 years of, of searching, and we take him at his word that he's still searching, yeah. if he's found nothing, is it is it fair for him to continue to, 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 to say nothing? Or should he, some point in the very near future, just come out and say, look, you know, I did all the research, I had all the documents, I went everywhere and these are the places I went... I converse with the locals, and unfortunately, I've just found nothing. Doctor Who related, anyway. And I think at some stage he probably will. And look, let, let's be honest. That is what I think is keeping the rumor going. The fact that he has not come out and made a definitive statement either way. Yes. It, it's always expect the unexpected. The wind is blowing in the yes. right direction when the time is right, sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, I, I completely agree. That that is what's keeping this motoring along. I, I have tended the opinion, as I said, I don't necessarily think there's Doctor Who involved. I'm probably more open to the idea he may have found other TV. And, and he has on occasion just dropped names of stuff he's handed back. And they're, they're clearly not nothing that, that's really earth-shatteringly, you know, you're immediately going to rush out and buy a Basset Brush box set. No. Or, or whatever. Troubleshooters. No. Sky at Night is, is the stuff that he's... Yeah, that well, he's specifically those mentioned. I mean, that Troubleshooters episode just came out of nowhere. I think he just dropped that in conversation. Yes, I, I don't know that he necessarily... Well, one of two things. He either planned to do it or possibly more likely he just it just slipped out. Maybe, but I mean, let's be honest. I mean, the Troubleshooters... I, I know, look, and I get it's, it's television that doesn't exist, so it's, you know, it's exciting to have it back. Mm. But it's not something that, that's really commercially... Viable, no. 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 I would suggest there is maybe an element that that's the sort of stuff, look, he obviously can talk about, and then if you believe that, look, there may be other items involved, that's probably the stuff he maybe can't talk about. But the fact if he's still out there doing work as Tia, and, and I think his television work, Tia, look, his ultimate goal might be to get in and so he can start poking around in cupboards or film mm. repositories and stuff, but the day-to-day work of Tia is ostensibly helping these overseas companies archive their material. And that's that's a worthy goal. Cultural pre- preservation mm-hmm. is, a, is a very worthy goal and it appears that he, he gets in, offers advice, offers his experience and provides materials and machinery yeah. and equipment. But it would also be a very time-consuming process because that, I think, would be a industry or an undertaking that would rely a lot on introductions and relationship building and proving you keep your word over time mm. and building a really good, solid relationship with an enterprise, an overseas TV enterprise or whoever, yep. before you can then say, oh, by the way, can I have a look in this cupboard over here? And that's right. I mean, the, 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 the time frame apparently for when he found Web and Enemy and was able to repatriate them was a number of months, mm. six months at least. So there's clearly... You know the legwork to build the trust to get into the archive, find something, and then continuing to build that rapport so that you can then say to them, "Well, you know, this actually can we just get this out of here? Yeah, and get and those home." That that's the thing. So I mean, you know, the the idea that he really you know is a treasure hunter, I, I think, doesn't really work because 
for a treasure hunt, you actually got to expect to find something. Yes. Now, you could spend years trawling through African archives or archives anywhere in the world and not find anything. Mm. So I think the idea of these a treasure hunter, and, and look, there, there would be a lot of negotiation. I mean, you can't clearly just walk in there with a letter and go, well, here's my letter from the BBC. Mm. Immediately give me access to your film repository and I'm taking this, 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 and this yes. with me. Britain um, is no longer the colonising power. People no, it going. doesn't work like that. So I could see that it would be an immensely time-consuming process. So, mm. you know, it could be years between when you first meet somebody, mm. the head of the TV station, to build up that, as you said, that trust relationship that yeah. they then allow you to, to maybe dig a little deeper. Yeah. And look, I mean, I was a bit narky at the start. And sometimes when you engage your gut instead of engaging your mind or your brain, you sort of, you, you know, you think, well, 10 years is a bloody long time. Um, why can't we just find something out? And then you just think about it, and as you've been explaining very eloquently there, it, it, it can be a very long time to build up these relationships to the extent where people are willing to allow you to take stuff out of their archive that they've held for decades. Mm. Okay, so all that said, the way fandom is, though granted it, we have been become much more jaded over the last four years since the announcement <laughs> in October 2013, there was some murmurings amongst fandom, the idea that Phil would once again uh, make a public appearance, the last time we'd heard from him, I believe, was an interview with him uh, and Toby Haydock, uh, released around the Christmas late last year, mm-hmm. where, uh, t- if you listen to it, Toby makes a very Freudian slip at the start and says um, something to the effect that you've, you've found many missing episodes or something like that. It's quite, it's quite amusing. <laughs> and then he immediately corrects himself. Pro tip to Toby, um, I would have actually started re-recording and <laughs> dropped that one out. But anyway, so we were anticipating that Phil was going to turn up until... An email went around to uh, attendees. Uh, one of these was posted on um, on one of the forums. Uh, sent out uh, just after midnight on the 26th of May UK time. Uh, Please find all the information you will require for Saturday's event. Unfortunately, we heard today that Philip Morris and Donald Tosh are no longer able to attend due to circumstances beyond our control. However, we are thrilled to wor- uh, welcome Derek Sherwin. And just as soon as that was posted up, Derek wasn't able to attend because he was ill. So, <laughs> now, before the event, Steve Roberts on Gallifrey Base uh, wrote, uh, look, Uh, there's nothing and in brackets uh, unusual about Phil not being here Um, the reason he's not here is that Phil is currently out of the country working at his real job and simply couldn't get back in time these events always make it clear that guests may have to pull out if they subsequently have work commitments Phil recently became a father which everyone knows and his first priority is going to be his company and his reputation to ensure that he can continue to support his family through it so that look that makes all sense Mm. all sense I mean Steve Roberts I don't think is uh, you know is shilling for Phil uh, Morris or anything like that in my limited uh, dealings with him, he's been very straightforward, and uh, I think we can only take his words at face value, whether he's been cut out of the information or not. And it's certain he, other members. He's no longer in the circle of trust. <laughs> yeah, other <laughs> members, or maybe even just one member of the uh, the RT, is now within the circle of trust with Phil. Who knows? But uh, I think it's it's reasonable to uh, you know it's well, reasonable thing to agree. Well, that that, that happens at any event you go to. It's yes. always a disclaimer: guests appear subject to work and health commitments. It's it's a real pity though that. Um, it happened so late in yes. the thing, and it gives rise to fans. And you know, I'm I'm as guilty as anyone of of finding a conspiracy within uh, yeah. an event that is you know someone's just not able to uh, turn up, and you begin to say, you know, well, how long did they know about this, and why is Phil just dropping it on us at the very mm-hmm. last moment? Is that not suspicious in itself? But I suppose going back a minute or two, the the idea I would have thought that Phil. Morris or anybody really involved in this is going to turn up and just suddenly decide this is the day I'm just going to unload everything. Mm. I would have thought would be quite slim. Yes. Particularly if you work on the basis that look a lot of what he would do would be covered by non-disclosure agreements. If you accept that he maybe has found some stuff that's currently 
with the BBC, negotiating to be repatriated, whatever. Mm. Imagine if you were to say hand over a film to the BBC, the last thing they would want you to do as soon as you get in the car to drive home tweeting, oh, guess what I did today? Yeah. You know, it doesn't. I don't think. I don't think it works like that. No. I mean, it would be the BBC would make the announcement, yep. or the owner of the returned material. Because mm-hmm. as I said, I don't. I don't necessarily think that we're talking Doctor Who. Yep. I mean, as I said, I would dearly love to see more Callum back. True. But the owner of the material would be the one making the announcement. Now he obviously then can come out and say, "Well, this is the story behind how it was recovered," and he mm-hmm. did do that with with the material we found in Nigeria. Yes, um, he has told the story. I mean, look, maybe we haven't got the whole story, but no. we have got the story of how he found the, the items in Joss, and they were clearly those films were back with the BBC for some time yep. before there was any inkling that that this had happened. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I think you, you're really putting two and two together and coming up with yeah. five. I, I think. I will say that the idea that Phil has uh, handed over or is in negotiations with the BBC, I don't think that that would necessarily be true because the BBC leaks worse than most sieves. <laughs> so whilst uh, in 2013 there was information just literally flooding out of, out of all but, corners... But, but then again, it probably wasn't until we got closer to the event when it really became apparent that something really... I mean, I know there was rumours and yeah. look, I mean, we both talked to people, you know... Just, just on the download, there's been a Doctor Who return. Exactly. Um, sort of thing. But, I mean, really, it wasn't until probably three or four weeks beforehand that those yeah. rumours really started to gather momentum. Yes. And it became apparent that actually there was something going on. Yes. I mean, you know, initially when we heard it, it was like, yeah, right. So yeah, it was really only until, I think, the Sunday before where there mm. was, it, it started to gather momentum and coalesce around the idea that they had found stuff. Now, on the RT panel, uh, someone uh, posted a paraphrase of what was said. Uh, Phil had sent, his, sent a message apologising for not being here as his schedule was interrupted. Apparently, he'd been working in the Middle East on an archive and was attempting to come home, but his flight was delayed. It's interesting that Phil's in the Middle East. Um, there are so few countries that are, uh, that are Western that can safely wander through. <laughs> um, you would think maybe Jordan. You would, Syria, obviously, is out of the question. Israel, there's no point. Iraq, no, not on your nelly. Uh, I thought so. Lebanon, nah. Yeah. Uh, the North African countries, well, Libya, definitely not. Egypt, sort of half and half. So Iran, Iran, yeah, yeah you could you could get away yeah, with Iran. Iran. And as for the rest of it, the UAE is pretty safe for Westerners. So. Yeah. So that's interesting that it was in the Middle East, but what... What part of the Middle East, I mean? And what comes of it, who, who knows? It's interesting that... Uh, Ian Levine was also invited at a late stage and there was a lot of anticipation about a potential punch-up between the two of them, a verbal punch-up, which just goes to show that fandom looks for the conflict yep. and not the necessary, not the potential camaraderie between two men who have been so influential in missing episodes. Now, all reports said that Ian's panel was, was very good. He was very warm and generous and he was very open. He was teamed with Sue, Sue Malden and I think they waxed lyrical about their time together finding missing episodes. <laughs> Ian, of course, has been rather poorly in recent years, so was, I suppose for him to get out in public, it's always a good thing. Well, I it? would think so, yeah. It's interesting to note that one of the people who reported there said that at one point, Ian Levine believed that uh, Phil Morris had 90 missing episodes, but that was in the past tense. Now, there's no information that would expand on that. But at the time, Ian, uh, back in 2013, he sort of flipped and flopped about whether Morris had more or, or, or none. I, I do remember him making that big proclamation he wasn't a believer, but then he'd recently seen some stuff that made him think it was all true, oh. um, which I think was around the time, of, was it those shipping manifests, I think, yes. uh, surfaced. Well, actually, uh, Paul Venezes on the Restoration Team panel actually picked up on that, and he said, as I flipped the page, Paul explained uh, that what people forget about that shipping consignment was that those consignments include the weight of the container itself. 
No, you, you used to work in the industry, Richard. Did you say something like the, the weight of those things you need to take into account the actual container itself? You, you do. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always the gross weight and the, and the tear weight of the container. Yeah. Um, I, I think I, I think we did... I remember we were looking at it when the consignment thing came out. The port it was shipped from, actually, I don't think is one of uh, Nigeria's main ports. But no, you know, no, well, I know that was something people latched onto because it was it wasn't it 60, 64 tons or something of um, yeah, sixty-four thousand or sixty-four yeah, tons or, or something of, like of that. film. Yeah, um, I think which and is even, an enormous which, amount. Which, well, it is even allowing for the weight of the container. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's still a pretty sizable number. that there was talk that Marco Polo had another copy of Marco Polo may have been found and that for whatever reason the, the, well, the, the rumour is that the person who was about to buy it was told not to bother buying it because it had already been found which is a strange one if you've got your hands on a copy of Marco Polo, regardless of whether you think someone else has got yes. it, you buy it Yeah, I, I would have thought so I mean there are I mean, there, there has been that sort of persistent rumour that I think there was one or two copy, one or two episodes of Marco Polo floating around. Mm-hmm. I think it was in Queensland. Yes. Um, for for a number of years, mm-hmm. um, I think they've been debunked. Okay. I, I, I think, but some people have done some good research uh, or into uh, how Doctor Who was screened here in the in the sixties, and given the, the size of the landmass and the lack of, um, I suppose, you know, microwave facilities for transmission. Yes. That the multiple copies may have been created to service cities and regional um, areas at the same time? Well, yes, because I've done... It's not Doctor Who, because we obviously do the goodies podcast as well. Mm-hmm. And I've done, as part of that, I've been doing some some independent uh, amateur research into the goodies screening history here. Mm-hmm. Um, now, obviously, we're talking about what, eight to ten years later than, than Doctor Who, the, yep. the, the 60s Doctor Who, because uh, the goodies started here in late 73. But if you go through the listings for about the first probably four, four to five years it was screened here, there's a lot of regional variation because the ABC at that point really weren't hooked up um, or were synchronised. You, you find they're showing on completely different nights at completely different times of the day. They've got different programs on before and after them. Um, and you can actually track in the rare cases where I can actually find what episodes were screened on what days, I've, I've, I've got a fairly good run of dates. Um, it's now a question of trying to find what episodes were screened on what days. Mm-hmm. But in the instances you can, you can actually see this episode was screened in Sydney and then it's screened in Melbourne a week or two later. Um, and then it's screened elsewhere sometime after that. And, and I know we do know Doctor Who was done like that, but there is, I think, now some evidence to suggest that even outside of the capital cities, there may have been some regional variations within some of the larger states. Like, say, if you lived in far north Queensland, yep. you wouldn't necessarily get the ABC on relay from Brisbane. Um, you would actually have... Uh, there potentially were copies um, made for regional broadcast. Mm. Um, plus, I think there are a couple of documented examples where the same story was being shown in, in different parts of the continent at yep. the same time, in the same week. Um, which would imply they probably there were would have been a second copy mm. 
um, of those around. And I, I guess for a state, I mean, we live, obviously, we're in Melbourne. So for a small state like Victoria, I, I think that probably would have been pretty much all controlled out of Melbourne. Yeah, that makes but sense. But if you lived in far north Queensland, or one of the, the things I found, that, and again, it's with the goodies, there was a, an actually a, a, a closed a closed television network uh, set up in the mining communities up around in the Pilbara. There was no, there was a transmitter and the ABC on the coast. Perth got television, I think, a couple of years, some years after the rest of the country, yeah. or WA, um, and the spread of TV outside of Perth was, was quite was quite slow. Um, there were areas they only got the ABC, and they didn't get them until into the nineteen sixties. Uh, you know, we're talking sort of I think some areas around Caratha and that and uh, Dampier, right up on the northwest coast. There, they didn't get TV until you know sort of nineteen sixty five. But there was actually a closed uh, television network set up for the mining communities inland at, at Tom Price. And those sort of areas, um, and they were just getting—they were getting videotapes sent up from Perth, and they did screen. I haven't gone back far enough to, to have a look at Doctor Who, but they certainly were screening the goodies, yeah. um, and they were screening them probably two weeks or a week or two weeks after they'd been seen in Perth. Okay. Um, so you, you sort of have scenarios like that where potentially you may have—I mean, look—not that that immediately leads <laughs> to, hey, look, they've got a repository tape yeah. somewhere, let's go raid their warehouse. No. But it does open the possibility that, yes, there were additional copies of some of these things floating yes. around. And rounded out or finished off by, we, we all remember um, sometime after the October 2013 announcements that um, episodes uh, had been found either in Taiwan, I think it was. Oh, yes, that's right, on the, um, on the, the Army base. Uh, Army, U- Army US, networks, yes. that's right, the US Army network. Now, uh, Ian now believes that he was a victim of a hoax which is... Uh, it's, it's a well-put-together hoax. I must admit, someone's put a bit of time and effort into I think it, that. I think it goes to two things, that sometimes Ian is a divisive figure and people want to put him in his place. And also it speaks a lot to the malice, potentially, mm. that uh, of people in terms of going to such an extent well, to do that. Yeah, because I mean, that, 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 that was a pretty elaborate yes. hoax. I mean, they took in not only Ian, but they also took in Doctor Who magazine who mm. printed an article about that. Now, when you've hoaxed, allegedly, mm. the, the official magazine, you, you, you've basically, you've, it's a touchdown, really. I mean, you've, you've achieved whatever you wanted to achieve. All right, now, before we, we wrap it up, because um, we've got to get out of here, I mean, the, the vibe that you get from the, from the day was, well, despite Phil not being able to attend, that it was a good chance to you know, not only meet uh, people like Annika Wills, but also Waris Hussain, William Russell, who's still going strong in his early 90s. I must admit, the photos I saw from the event, he mm. looks in really good nick. If I, if I, I mean, I don't look, I mean, I'm, I'm half his age and I look nowhere near as Yeah, well. I was going to say, if I'm that good, if I'm still around, <laughs> A, still around and B, that good at 93, I'll yes. be very happy. People like Peter Purves um, turned up, uh, Tony Quanta who's appeared in Doctor Who, the members of the Restoration team. So it seems like it was a really good day. Even, you know, Phil's the only game in town, but him aside, it sounds like from what the attendees were saying that uh, despite his absence, it was a really good day. It was good, as with all conventions, you go for the, you go, you go for the panels, but you end up meeting a lot of interesting people. And, and that's the thing. I, I think announcing that Phil Morris is attending and, and how that sort of hijacks the event a bit, um, I think is quite sad because I think that would have been... It was obviously just intended as a day to come and meet some of the people who were involved in the early days of Doctor Who and in some of the material that now doesn't exist anymore. Yep. It wasn't, I don't think, ever going to be, this is this is D-Day mm. and that we're going to find out the facts about 
you know, yeah. when, when this stuff is coming back. Obviously, that's a part of it, and everybody says, wouldn't it be so great if we could see yeah. X? I, I think there was a, a post Annika Wills really, um, I think the one she would really like to see again is the Smugglers. Yes. I think was the one she dominated. Um, and I think there was a thing there, Peter Purvis said that, you know, the massacre isn't going to happen. Yeah. So don't. You know. Don't bet on it. Um, I, I would have thought it, that would be the intention of the day. It was just a chance to meet some of the people yeah. responsible for early Doctor Who. Exactly. Now, I mean, and admittedly, and I've posted this on forums or two, I was white hot with anger about the whole thing, and I, the, the anger is unjustified, really. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have reacted the way I did, the sort of language that I was using, because look, at the end of the day, Phil controls it. Phil is in charge. It's his business. Mm-hmm. If he's found anything, I, you know, at the end of the day, he's, he's going to announce it in his own good time for no doubt very good reasons. And I think we just you know, have to be patient, as we have been for the last three or that, four years. That's the thing. I, I think, I mean, look, we could make the snide joke. We'll, we'll know when we hear about it from a leak from the BBC. But um, I, think that, I think that's actually true. <laughs> but you would think anything big that was returned, anything commercially viable that comes back, mm. you, you will hear about it from from the organisation responsible for the film. You're not going to hear about it first from Phil Morris. No. And I mean, look, even those... um, I mean, there was that that film collection that Kaleidoscope acquired... Yes. ...late last last year or early Uh, this year. Yes, yep. Um, They didn't. They did an announcement a day. Mm. But, you know, that didn't come from anybody else. That was by the official... Um, that, that was, you know, Kaleidoscope, we've acquired this collection and yeah. every day this week we will announce and now we're going to repatriate. This. Yes, and you look... You can imagine the success of the October 13, you know, announcement mm. um, is something that the BBC would, would, you know, be likely to replicate or want to replicate. Mm. So uh, we, we had hoped that, um, well, I'd hoped anyway, that the BBC would make some sort of announcement in the lead up to the, 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 the May 27 event. Um, but in hindsight, that, you know, it's going to be something bigger than, uh, than simply a fan event. And, oh. and no, no offense, no slight to fandom events, but it's going to be something bigger than what they can assemble. Oh, for, for sure. I mean, look, you would get... You know, I mean, one of the things that, that really, if you think about the, in October 2013, one of the things that put the icing on the cake was, I think, when you went to Deborah Watling's website, yeah. it actually said, I'm going to an event on the BBC on, on this Thursday. Yes. Um, which, of course, is like, ah, okay, yeah, you know, okay. It's obviously. You know, and a lot of people took that as proof that this, something really is now happening. Yeah. And then I think it was the fact that it was her and Fraser Hines who were invited meant, okay, well, it's Troughton, clearly. Yeah. And it's season five Troughton. Yeah. Um, so... You know, the fact that they haven't invited William Russell means probably that they <laughs> no Marco, so. no Marco Polo. <laughs> All right. All right. So I think we've spoken enough about that. Uh, we'll just leave it as it is and hope that one day soon, uh, Phil Morris and the BBC can come to whatever arrangement they need to and whatever news conference they hope to arrange. And we find out soon because um, he's spent a long time on it and he's put himself in some danger uh, over the journey. Yeah. And, I was just going to say, that actually would be one thing I would really like to ask him, not so much about what have you found or whatever. What is it actually like going into some of those parts of the world? Like, What is it actually like going into a TV station in, in some dust bowl in, in northern Africa? Yeah. Really? Or even if we talk about um, how he found those films in, we know they were found in Joss, um, that's in sort of northern Nigeria where, where some of the um, insurgent elements are. Um, so there is clearly an element of danger and I, I think he even said at one point he was somewhere a landmine went off I think right right near where he was um, that was a, 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 a mortar strike I think it was a mortar strike yes. I, remember but, I mean he's been to dangerous places and experienced yeah. dangerous things and he's been close to dangerous things that's so. the thing I mean even someone like Sierra Leone I think would still be a, a, a you know sort of <laughs> keep one eye over your shoulder the whole time you were there yes, I would have thought yes. so, so 
admittedly, there's a lot of impatience out there, but he's done a great thing four mm. years ago. Let's hope he can replicate that very, fairly soon, Phil. Um, and until that, <laughs> and until that happy day, uh, thank you for listening. Once again, uh, I've been Rob. I've been Richard. And we'll speak again soon. You've just listened to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at 42 to Doomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at 42 to Doomsday. Please check out our blog, 42 to Doomsday.wordpress.com, where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with you again soon.